welcome and thank you for joining us in our second episode of Digitalization, A Spotlight On. In this episode, we continue the focus on diversity and inclusion and the power of digital. Tech inclusion is hugely important in the promotion of social diversity and the COVID pandemic has highlighted the digital divide more than ever. In this episode, we speak to Kane and Harriet from Mission Beyond, a social impact initiative on the power of data, reporting, and digital trends in tackling diversity and inclusion within businesses. Harriet and Kane, it's fantastic to have you here this morning. Um, before we start, please could you just tell us a little bit about yourselves and Mission Beyond? Harriet, will you go first or would you like me to go first? Oh, you go first, Kane. You're so full of beans today. <laughs> Uh, thank you for having us, Caroline. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, I'm Kane Uller. I uh, founded and grew a, a digital consultancy called Red Badger over 11 years um, as CEO. I've recently stepped down in uh, end of uh, February as CEO and have now kind of moved my focus into Mission Beyond. So I'm I'm a founding trustee with Harriet of uh, Mission Beyond, which is a charity. And we're looking at how we can uh, help those from poorer socio-economic backgrounds uh, to find economic independence through leveraging the power of digital to help sort of scale our access, discoverability of existing interventions, uh, and ultimately into, into work and progression through their career. Harriet? Yeah, and I've just learned something, Kane. I know we've only known each other a year, but every time I introduce you, I introduce you as Kane Ula, and I just heard you pronounce your surname very differently, and I'm so sorry. This whole time, <laughs> the emphasis is, is different, so it must have sounded very strange. I apologise. I think it's been um, kind of... Uh, British, what's the word? It's been turned into a British phrase. If you were in India and you had my surname, yeah. you probably would pronounce it Ula. Yes. But all of my my father and his brothers and sisters uh, call it Allah. So, okay. yeah. Well, I, I apologise to all of them, but um, mine's, <laughs> um, mine's a, an easy one to remember. Green, not hard to get that one right or wrong but uh, my name is Harriet Green and um, I'm a global business leader. I've lived and worked in four different continents. I'm currently the uh, uh, chair of the trustees, a founder alongside Kane of Mission Beyond. Um, I am active um, business coaching, mentoring uh, and as an influencer on some of the intersections that I feel passionately about, business, leadership, women, STEM. Uh, I would describe myself as a diversity and inclusion activist um, and have been a public company CEO and chair uh, for really um, almost three decades. So very excited to be here with Kane, we, we can talk for most of those continents, so you'll have to keep us in check, Caroline, and thank you for asking us. 
No problem. Thank you for being here. And um, I, I, I will try to keep you in check. I'm not sure if I want to, though. I want to, I want to hear what you have to say on, on this topic. So we're here today to talk about um, diversity and inclusion in the digitalization uh, space. And Kane, you've just said about embracing the power of digital. Um, what aspect of tech inclusion is most urgent to be addressed next? Well, so there's, it's a it's a very it's a very big area. So you know, just if you looked at the uh, Social Mobility Commission's uh, State of the Nation report that was released in twenty on the twentieth of July, um, it's quite bleak reading actually. So if you're looking at um, the impact of COVID on on inclusion, it's gone the wrong way, um, and so there's multiple things around specifically around socioeconomics so those from a poorer background um, if you are in a household of between six and twelve thousand pounds worth of annual income you're only 50 percent likely to have internet connection um, if you're in a, in a household of over forty thousand a year in income that goes up to 99 percent and so there's a huge issue here and you know you've seen it with impact of lockdown homeschooling the access to education that people have had um so how do we actually kind of reach those young adults from a from a poorer socioeconomic background and and the, the children as well um to kind of support them and i think that's the role that digital has to play. So it's about crossing the chasm around the digital poverty gap, but then it's also about connecting, scaling and sustaining the existing interventions that are out there. There's many interventions in the social mobility space, but uh, the ecosystem is completely fragmented. And so digital has, like, that's where the digital kind of intervention, that's the power of digital, that's where the focus should be at the moment, in my opinion. Yeah, fantastic. fantastic. Thank you. And Harriet, do you want to add your thoughts on that as well? And Kane also talked about um, sort of that poorer, um, uh, poorer section being at most risk of being left behind. But you also talked about intersectionality. So I don't know if you can add on any layer of detail to that as to whether it's sort of more into a more granular detail about which classes are being left behind and how we can help them as well. Yeah, post-COVID, I think you can say from all of the data and the research that those who were disadvantaged before are even more disadvantaged now. And so digital, as Kane said, allows us to connect and to scale those connections. And so uh, technology is a an amazing way uh, to reach people and build their own confidence, their own skills to be able to create CVs and provide coaching and mentorship and internships and to be uh, a sort of a career advisor in your pocket, which is what our Open Doors platform does, whilst bringing in many corporations who are totally committed to um, hiring people who are not uh, uh, just from the most privileged sections uh, uh, of the community. 
So I think there is an enormous responsibility for uh, corporations at this time to be digging deep, uh, to be reaching out and to be using the technologies like Open Doors from Mission Beyond, but also where they make that technology uh, to be uh, ensuring that not only do companies know how to use it, but that the wider uh, uh, reach of organizations uh, can uh, educate and help people too. So for example, at IBM, which has put a great deal of time and money into their P-TECH program, Pathways to Technology, taking young people from disadvantaged backgrounds and fast-tracking them to learn some of the uh, more foundational technology skills, giving them mentorship and helping them place them in companies, circumventing degrees straight into the skills that the world needs right now. So I think those responsibilities are very acute for corporations. Completely agreed. And I mean, that that's you know, a really interesting point about, you know, how COVID has has has, has cha changed the way we've worked, has changed our access to each other. It's fantastic to hear the steps that IBM has taken around upskilling and digital inclusion. I guess the flip side of that is that some companies will see companies like IBM really, you know, w walking the walk, as it were, and doing what they need to do. Is there a risk of other companies taking shortcuts of trying to greenwash, of, of, of saying that they, they have policies in place but not actually implementing them? Yeah, very much so. And I think there are some very simple ways of assessing uh, uh, this. And I'll share my three with you. Whether it's a, a, a startup, whether it's a medium-sized company or a large 100-year-old corporation, what is the stated diversity and inclusion strategy. What is the plan to get there? Who will do what, uh, 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 when? Just like you were launching a new product. So if your startup uh, uh, doesn't reflect the world in which we work, it's only white Aryan males from Silicon Valley, then that's probably not uh, uh, a good indicator. Medium-sized company, have they published that strategy and that plan to get there, just like they would with a new product plan. So what is the diversity and inclusion plan? Um, who owns the pieces of it? And how is that company celebrating the successes that go alongside the progression and the retention when you do good hiring? So what I always look for are the three sort of um, elements in any company. What's the psychology of the CEO and the C-suite? How are they embracing hearts and minds? Do they have diversity at that C-suite? Then secondly, the physiology. What are the nerve endings, the blood flows, the processes, the systems? How is every employee looking into that company and the reflection that comes back is the culture, which looks like them. So what's the physiology of the organization? Can you possibly proceed with a hiring if you didn't have a richly diverse uh, uh, slate? What is the data on retention 
of um, uh, individuals of, of color or those uh, from the LGBT plus community? And then thirdly, does the structure, the anatomy, so psychology, physiology, and anatomy of the company reflect one that is truly uh, trying to embrace the most diverse um, uh, cohort of teams to solve problems. That's what I look for when anyone sends me anything uh, uh, to be involved in. I did with your own organization, and that's why I think you'll be wonderfully enriched by embracing Open Doors and Mission Beyond. But you can do that with an individual. You can do that with a startup. I was recently asked to join a startup, and I said playfully at the first meeting, gosh, it would be terribly difficult for me as the only woman and the only one over 25, uh, which gives you a sense of who was involved, right? No disrespect to those brilliant young white Californian engineers, they'll be great, but it's not a good start. And I think understanding data, like having really rich data on this is absolutely vital. Unless you can visualize the state of your organization right now and then have some targets and then see how you move the needle against those targets. Like you can't do that without really rich data. Um, and that has to be across as many dimensions as possible. So you know, Harriet mentioned their ethnicity and LGBT, but socioeconomic is a really important uh, diversity metric as well that is actually quite poorly understood. You know, it's people don't put whether I had a free school meals on a CV. So you don't, it's very, very hard to kind of get access to and understand uh, your workforce with regard to socioeconomic. So it's, you have to really kind of up, sort of look at the data and get get that sort of data into, uh, you know, rich reporting. And then I think government also has a, a, a part to play in this. So, you know, the, the gender pay gap legislation came in in 2017 that should now expand into uh, diversity and inclusion metrics so I think any organization the same as with the gender pay gap that uh, is 250 people or larger should have to uh, be mandated to publish the data around all of those metrics and commit or from a strategy perspective on moving the needle on them and you know publicizing that and there's lots of organizations as well that um <clears throat> that are or bodies or foundations that have um kind of uh membership where you can bet share best practice you've got the tech talent charter there's lots of organizations that belong to the tech talent charter and publish their data every year um, the Social Mobility Foundation do great work there and they release the index. And so if you are really committed, then organisations should also be signatories of organisations like Tech Talent Charter and the Social Mobility Foundation so that they are uh, putting their money where their mouth is and actually showing progress and publicising everything and being transparent. Um, I think all of that is really key. And, and I would just add to Kane's great input, a question I always ask new CEOs or anyone I'm coaching or people that may be suggesting I work with them 
um, in, in one way or another. I asked them to share with me uh, how they uh, embrace the uniqueness of individuals because of their age, their sex, their color, their creed, their sexuality, and their physical and cognitive ability. And that question, that one question, and how it's answered tells me everything. Uh, um, you know, the people that dive in and say, okay, we've got more work to do in LGBT plus and really love to get your counsel and advice there. You know, we've done some great hiring, but we're a bit stuck on progression. You know, they're on a journey. Those who can't give you a single uh, example uh, 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 of um, working with uh, a disabled individual or not getting the cognitive importance. Uh, uh, the first time I met with Kane, he had asked Matthew Syed to talk about cognitive diversity uh, and how people have very, very different mindsets. Like Kane and I, we think very differently. We have very different experiences, how we make stuff happen because of that difference. Yeah, and sometimes it's uncomfortable. But if it's if <laughs> we're if we're if we're all agreeing all the time, then you do not have cognitive diversity, and there's a problem. Like healthy tension is absolutely key to creativity, productivity, all of the amazing amazing things that make a an organisation great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Diversity yeah. and inclusion is absolutely part of that. Cult different cultures, internationalisation, different backgrounds. You know, it's uh, it's really important. Actually, this is not just an ethics discussion. It's about performance as well. And the sooner the uh, the, the leaderships, the C-suite of big organisations realise that their organisation is stronger for having good DNI uh, policies, the better. And there's one uh, CEO I worked for once said to me, "Hey." If if you are agreeing with me on most things, then one of us is super, superfluous and it's not me, Harriet. Uh, I call rank here. And so I also think great leaders also coach you to not be, you know, uh, dissent just for the sake of it. But, you know, rebels with a cause like Kane and I have been encouraged along the way to to be like that. Uh, and and that's a great thing, I think. And that's a fantastic um, illustration of of the the, the diversity that that's that's needed or or encouraged in the um, uh, companies you've worked for, Harriet. And you've talked about cognitive diversity. What we've been talking about during this podcast is how companies need to concentrate on diversity and inclusion. They need to concentrate on the power of digital that they can embrace in order to do that. However, the message should surely be um, that companies should be actively pursuing this because of the benefits of increased innovation arising from a diverse workforce. Inclusion should be at the top of their agenda. Are you seeing or have you seen and it would be interesting to know if COVID has changed this as well, um, an uptick in companies that are actively pursuing this versus companies that are doing what they have to do, or as you were saying, Kane signing up to charters because they think it will give them an edge in reputation rather than a, a, sort of a, a, a company-wide a, 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 um, uh, approach 
to uh, diversity? I think it's the $64 billion question, uh, 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 Caroline. And, and I think um, I have a couple of inputs um, which are encouraging. For two reasons, I am definitely seeing an enhanced momentum and focus, really for two reasons. The first is the war for talent. This vortex of change has, has really changed many in our next generations, our next gens, about why they work. I've written a lot about it in, in many, many articles and approaches. And if you want you know, great talent to work for you, you're gonna need to demonstrate purpose, diversity and inclusion. You're gonna need to demonstrate that you are prepared to speak as a company on issues that in the past you might have said, or oh, we don't get involved in commenting on the murder of a black man in an American city. So I think the war for talent is um, more aggressive than it has ever been. A number of studies from the mighty Microsoft through to uh, uh, ENY through to the World Economic Forum have said that between 40 and 60% of individuals uh, are getting ready to change jobs uh, uh, at this time. So the war for talent pushes it right up the agenda. And the second issue is, you know, we, we have economic situations in many, many of the leading and developing nations in the world. This has been a, you know, two whole years of declining uh, uh, returns. And the only way, if you look at periods of depression, wars, uh, bubbles bursting, um, you know, you name it, pandemics in the past, mid-50s Spanish flu, the only real way that countries, governments, companies, organizations, units progress is uh, innovation-led growth. You can cut people, you can, you know, resize your organization, but what will uh, drive growth is innovation. Innovation, as Kane already said, that provides scale and is likely going to be digital in its orientation. And all of the research from the best in the world at doing this to those who are just trialing it is that innovation is best achieved when you have uh, a richness, a diverse team who have equity of involvement, equity of workload, equity of esteem. Uh, and, and that is proven. I've done this myself many, many times. So I think that those corporations who've cut all they can cut, those who are now saying, oh, my God, we have a, a recruitment lag that's larger than our original hiring budget. We've got to do something about this. And um, recently, a number of companies have come to me around this I was very big and in prior CEO ships around employee value propositions. What is in it for the employee to work for you? And those right now are consumer grade. There has to be a menu of offerings. You have to be able to work for someone like Kane. 
you have to be able to have, um, you know, a, a diverse team around you, uh, exciting projects to work on, purpose at the very top. These are existential issues for companies, small, medium and large. And investors have a huge part to play. You know, my first CEO strategy that I took to the city as the CEO of Premier Farnell in 2006 was entitled People, Planet, Profits. And most of the investors of most of the institutional organizations said, most interesting, Harriet, if we could, we'll focus on the third. And that's what we used to talk about. That has changed. I understand. I'm not running a public company in the UK or the US at this time, but I understand from many that it is and that these ESG, EDI, equity targets are rigorously being explored to make sure that companies are embracing them. But for me, it's existential. And with the amount of change, new CEOs, new C-suites, writing about chief purpose officers, this is the cool new role in, in the US where, you know, people want to make sure that purpose is manifest in the culture. In fact, Kane and I talked to a wonderful head of a legal firm who is supporting us, Caroline, uh, and he talked about purpose being brought right back into the central strategy uh, of a, you know, a well-known, you know, state-of-the-art, world-class litigator's office. Yeah, Northbourne Park have ESG as part of their 2025 strategy. So, you know, it's uh, it's it we are seeing it's not every company, but they're they're driven by the investor community. ESG is huge now because actually representing all stakeholders um, is going to impact shareholder value. So earnings per share is now linked to what you're doing with ESG metrics. <clears throat> and then the EDI, you know, as Harriet said about, the, is about the war on talent. And we are starting, you know, I had a meeting just this week with a huge newspaper, magazine and digital publisher uh, with their group head of diversity and inclusion. And she reports to the CEO now. Now in the past, that might've been a bit of an afterthought in HR, but now that role, more and more we are seeing is reporting to the CEO. It's it's in the boardroom. It's very, very high on the agenda uh, because of the reasons that Harriet has just mentioned. No, thank you very much. And I can just see that we're, we're nearly out of time here. So do you have any uh, sort of final comments to get across the, the, the need or the next steps in order to make a sort of real and lasting change uh, in the tech industry with regards to diversity and inclusion? Yeah, I think it's the responsibility of the complete kind of virtuous circle. Employees are asking, please, may I see your diversity and inclusion strategy? Can I see some of the successes? You know, what is the purpose of the organization, the commitment and the promise? It's for the C-suite to look like a diverse and inclusive organization that is both hiring, retaining, uh, uh, because they promote and include uh, a rich cohort of, of stellar individuals that may not look exactly like us. It is for boards to also reflect that and to be deep diving 
uh, into the reality of how that strategy is translated into profitable growth. And it's for investors, voters, if it's government, you know, to be ensuring that this is at the top of the agenda. It's for all of us, I believe, to raise the consciousness uh, of at least resetting what this vortex of change and COVID has done, not least for women, for people of color, for those who are disabled. And I would like to see us making real tangible progress. Yeah, and I would like to do a bit of uh, self-promotion and draw people's attention to the journey that Harriet and I are on with a, a group of other brilliant people. We've founded Mission Beyond uh, with this agenda at our, at the core of our mission, um, with a with a in the intent of building a national digital infrastructure uh, to connect, scale, and sustain all of the brilliant work around EDI, all of the mentoring schemes, uh, the educational programs, the school, the work, the work of schools and universities and local councils, all working towards building a better future for disadvantaged people. Uh, it's called Mission Beyond and the platform is going to be called Open Doors. So watch out for it. And if you are a corporate listening, we'd like you as a partner. So please, uh, please look it up, Mission Beyond. Thanks very much, Bo. Thank you for sharing your insight and expertise today. And we hope to speak with you soon. Great pleasure. Thank you, Caroline. Thank you, Thank Kane. you. Thank you.